I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Luke chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 8. We've been teaching a series on authority, and we want to continue to do so. Uh, last week we talked about authority and faith, the connection between authority and faith. And uh, this morning we want to uh, go a little bit further in that, but then we also want to talk about authority in prayer. Now, each of these services are, uh, well, I almost said designed. I, I really don't design them. Um, but the way that the Lord uses me to teach, I kind of teach from one week to the next week. In other words, one service builds upon a next service. And so to get the most out of what we're saying this morning, you really need to hear some of the things that were said before. And so if you haven't been with us for any of this uh, authority series, I want to encourage you to uh, either uh, go to the bookstore and buy the CDs from the service or you can go to the website and download them for free. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter to me what's most convenient for you, but it's important for you to get the information. Because if you just hear a, a, a bit or a piece of some of this without having the foundation laid for it, then it's not going to have the same impact on you that it would otherwise. Now, we're using as a text scripture in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus has commissioned the 70 to go out and, and preach the gospel. He sent them two by two into each of the cities that he was planning to go to. So they were adva his advanced teams. And he gave them certain instructions. He said, heal the sick. Uh, he said, uh, tell them that the kingdom of God has come unto them. said certain things to them about what to do. But it says that they returned after having completed the mission that Jesus sent them to do. It says, beginning in verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Now, if you went back and took the time to look, Jesus didn't say one word about casting out devils. But they found that the authority in the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus that they had been given and, and to, to do this particular mission's work extended to the casting out of devils. Now, folks, I don't want to leave the wrong impression here. I don't want to say that they just stumbled up on, hey, the devils are subject to us in your name. They'd seen Jesus cast out devils. They watched him do it, and I have no doubt, but that's the very reason why they did it themselves. They just did his work in his name. They cast out devils the same way that he did, only they used the name. Jesus didn't cast out devils in his own name. But when they were going to do the work of Jesus, they had to use his name. In other words, they had to use the delegated authority from him. The authority that had been delegated to them from Jesus himself in order to get the work accomplished. It didn't work just because they were sent. It worked because they used his name. Folks, when we understand that, that'll make a lot of difference in the way things work in your life. They don't work because you're saved. They work because you use his name. So Jesus responds, and he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Now, he's not saying when you used my name, Satan fell. He's saying when Satan rebelled against God before the earth was ever created and God cast him out with a third of the angels, he's saying that's when Satan be I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He's saying, yeah, it works because Satan is a defeated foe. Folks, because Jesus has been to the cross and been raised from the dead with the keys of hell and death, he's doubly defeated. When they were using the name of Jesus and exercising authority over the devil, he was singly defeated. Now he's doubly defeated. I knew that would excite you. So Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. In other words, he's saying, my name, my authority works for you because Satan is a defeated foe. And then he explains the authority. He said, behold, I give unto you authority. Now, I just said, quoted it differently than King James says. It says power. There's two words uh, used or translated power in Luke 10:19. There are two separate words in the Greek. The first word means 
delegated power or what we would call authority. The second word that's translated power in Luke 10, 19 is the word ability. Or we would recognize that as a true, uh, a true and accurate uh, translation of the word power. So what he's saying is, behold, I give unto you authority over all the power of the enemy. I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, some people get caught up on the serpents and scorpions. Those are just types and examples, illustrations of the devil's power. And Jesus explains that when he says, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, folks, I want to make a statement. We proved it last week, if you were with us. But I want to make a statement, just just blanket statement. Accept it if you want to. Study it out if you want to. Reject it if you want to. It's up to you. doesn't matter. Jesus said it. You do what you want to with it. Jesus said, you have authority, complete and absolute authority in your life. Now, that's what he said. What people accept, what what other religious doctrines people come up with, okay, that's up to them. Their choice. But Jesus said that we have authority in his name. And this was before he was even raised from the dead. We've got more authority now than they had then. He said, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on on serpents and scorpions. That means to keep the devil under your foot. And authority over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That means if something is hurting you in your life, it's up to you to do something about it and not God. And that's where Christians, by and large, check out. Because nobody wants responsibility. You want to know how to thin out a church crowd? Preach responsibility. Because <laughs> nobody wants that. We wouldn't just sit back and say, well, the will of the Lord be done. Well, I just believe, Pastor Mike, that God opens and shuts doors. Well, he does. But so does the devil. How do you know who's opening what door? No, you're the one with authority. The Old Testament identifies it this way. God said, behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. Then if anybody was stumped by the question, he gave him a hint. He said, choose life. You have absolute and complete authority in your own life. Well, that's tough to hear, isn't it? Because immediately thoughts start coming to us. Well, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but what about that? Well, the Bible has an answer to all those yeah, but what abouts. And it all comes down to your authority. It all comes down to the exercise of your authority. Now back to uh, Matthew chapter 8. We looked at this uh, for just a few moments last Sunday morning as well, but uh, it bears repetition so we can go a little bit further. Here's the story of the centurion that comes to Jesus. It says Jesus has begun his ministry. He's in Capernaum where he did more miracles than he did anywhere else. He was more accepted and received in Capernaum than any other place that we have record of that he went. And so in verse 5 it says, When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him. Now a centurion is a Roman soldier that is the captain over a hundred other soldiers. And so he came and said, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Literally from the Greek, it says, having come, I will heal. Now, the reason I make that distinction, I'm not trying to say Jesus is is refusing to come to the man's house. He he is clearly willing to come to to the man's house. But it means more than just, I will come to your house and heal. It means since God sent me, I'm here to heal. Having come, where did he come from? He came from the Father. Having come, I will heal. 
See, the question so many people have is, not can God heal, but will God heal? Jesus is answering the question right here. He's saying, having come, I will heal. Having come, I will heal. Well, did he come? You bet he did. So what's the answer for your healing? I will. Well, you're an excitable bunch today, aren't you? <laughs> okay, so Jesus says, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but you don't have to come to my house. Now, folks, this is where most of the church today departs. Oh, they say, if I could just get to where Jesus was. If it was only like it was when Jesus was on the earth. This guy's saying, you don't have to come to my house. I don't need to see you physically. You compare this with Luke's uh, account of this. The centurion's not even talking to him personally. It's a servant that he sends to send with the message. The centurion doesn't even have to go individually. It doesn't even have to go personally. He just sends, a, sends another servant. He says, tell Jesus this. Tell him, here's what I need. Well, what did he say? He said, but speak the word only. In other words, for this guy, the word was enough. How about you? How about me? Is the word enough for us or we need something more? This guy says, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed for. In other words, here's why I'm taking this position. For I am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me and I say to this man, go and he goes. And to another come and he comes. And to my servants, I have authority over them too. To my servants, I say, do this and they do it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus says that this man's understanding of authority is the equivalent of great faith. How many of you want to be great in faith? You know what that means? That means you're going to have to have an outstanding understanding of authority. You're going to have to have an understanding of authority just like this man did. And this guy wasn't even saved. He wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't even of the, the tribe of Israel. He wasn't even somebody that was uh, conversant in the law. He was not a proselyte. He was not a Jewish proselyte. He had done good things for the Jews. He had built a, Luke tells us that he had built a uh, synagogue for the, um, uh, the Jews there in town. And so the religious leaders were saying, oh, he's blessed us. And so Jesus, you ought to do something to help him. But he's not a Jew. He's not somebody that this blessing should even belong to. But his understanding of authority crossed bloodlines. Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he said. He said that himself. He told the disciples, when you go in my name, don't go outside of Israel towns. Don't go to the Gentiles. You stick to the Jews. Why? Because Jesus was sent to the Jews first. This guy's not a Jew. But his understanding of authority crossed the lines that were established. God never says no to somebody's faith. No matter what the circumstance is or no matter what side of the tracks you're from. So he said, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He says some other things about Israel and the Gentiles and so forth. Verse 13, Jesus said unto him, the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. Folks, we see a very definite parallel, a connection between an understanding of authority and faith. And it goes very simply this way. You can't have faith for anything you don't have authority concerning. You can't exercise faith for anything that you don't have authority in. Can't do it. 
Now, we see stories of uh, some of the guys in the Old Testament we've uh, referred to, and I want to stick with the same, be consistent in some of the things that we've said before. We see in Exodus chapter 14, Moses. God has delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and now they come to the edge of the Red Sea. God, the Bible says very specifically God didn't take them the short way. He took them the long way around so that they wouldn't be discouraged by the Philistines. Sometimes the long way around is God's plan. So he took them through the wilderness. Now they come to the red, edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind after having let them go, and he says, I'm going to kill these people. What did I let these people go for? They're responsible for the death of my son and the firstborn of all of Israel, or all of uh, Egypt, excuse me. And so he says, I'm going to go take these people out. So he sends his army out to destroy them. Moses now sees the Pharaoh's army, the, the, the strongest army on the face of the earth, the superpower of the day, bearing down on them. Moses says to the people, don't worry, God's going to fight for you. And then turns around and says, God, what are we going to do? He's right in that God's going to fight for him because God has already said, I will be honored upon Pharaoh this day. He says, he tells Moses before it ever happens, Pharaoh's coming after you now. But I will be honored. My name will be honored and glorified among Pharaoh today. So Moses knows the end result. He knows God's going to take care of this. Glory. Don't worry. God's going to do this. And he turns around and says, well, now, I don't fault him for it, but God rebukes him. God says, what are you crying out to me for? I've said this before. I'll say it every time I read this. It looks like a perfect time to me to cry out to God. That's where I cry out to God. I got Pharaoh behind me. The devil's bearing down on my rear end. What am I supposed to do? The Lord says, why criest thou unto me? You stretch forth your hand and the rod that's in your hand and divide the waters. This is news to Moses. Now, up to this point in time, he's been doing the miracles. The plagues have been going and taking place at his hands and at, the, at his word because God told him, okay, do this, do this. God is walking him step by step by step all through the ten plagues. And it's worked wonderfully. Now Moses is expecting him to walk him step by step for the rest of the way. But he gets outside of the boundaries of Egypt when he's in trouble. And God says, you don't have to look to me for this. I've already told you the end result. Make it happen. Now, I, I, I have no doubt whatsoever that up until that moment in time, Moses had not even considered that he had the power in that stick he's been carrying to divide the Red Sea. Why would he think that he would? But God tells him, I've already told you the end result. Moses, you do whatever's necessary to accomplish what I said. You stretch forth your hand and divide that water. And so he does, and it does. Israel goes over on dry ground. God, goes, God takes care of not the Red Sea part. Moses, that's your authority. That's your responsibility. God takes the pillar of fire and separates Israel from Pharaoh so he doesn't attack them from the rear while the Red Sea is dividing and the, water's, uh, the, uh, the ground's drying up so that they can go over. Moses finally gets to the other side. He doesn't even ask God this time. Once Israel gets to the other side, he's figured this out. Hey, God's leaving some of this up to me. So he stretches forth his rod again. The water comes in on Pharaoh and his armies that have chased after him, and they drown and they're destroyed. Superpower army of the day destroyed in one moment of time because a man used authority based on his understanding of God's will. The authority used by one man as the leader of the people of God. The authority used by one man did more than what other nations, armies, and soldiers, and trained killers were able to do. Now Joshua 
comes to the place where he takes over in Moses' place or takes Moses' place as the leader of the children of Israel. He's got this figured out. He must have learned through Moses and all of his experience with Moses because there's not many times you see that Joshua stands up and prays about what to do when they come upon a battle. He prays before the battle, but when he's in the midst of the situation, he just takes care of it. For example, in Joshua chapter 10, God says to Joshua, Okay, I want you to go out into this next battle. Go out against this, this uh, people, this certain city in the promised land where they're taking the promised land. He said, there will not be one man left standing before you. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So Joshua goes out and all of a sudden it starts hailing great stones. It says there were giant stones of hail that go, come down upon the enemies of Israel and destroy more of them than Israel wind up killing later on with the sword. So the, the, the big hailstorm thing takes place. The people are destroyed, or a lot of the people are destroyed. The enemies of Israel are destroyed. And then Joshua starts getting his armies in there and just tearing everybody up. But now they're running out of time, and not everybody is dead. Now, God said not a man will be left standing. Well, there's still men standing. So Joshua, in the sight of all of Israel, just cries out and says, Sun, stand still. Moon, don't come up. And that's exactly the way it was. It stayed that way for 18 hours until Joshua and his armies killed every one of them. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did Joshua get the understanding that he could stop the sun and the moon? Find that in the scripture for me. If we had, through our natural human faith, the ability to stop the sun and the moon. If you had it and I had it, do you realize what cross-purposes we'd be in? I'd want it daytime when you'd want it night. Man, the whole earth system would be messed up because you'd have Christians all over the place trying to exercise their authority and stopping this and starting that. And what a mess we'd be in. Well, then why did it work for Joshua? Because he was the leader of God's people. See, here's the point, folks. We see things like this in the Old Testament and we think, yeah, that's how it works. Not unless you're the leader of all of God's people. You don't see it working like that. Now, you see Jesus suspending the laws of nature on certain occasions. He walked on the water. I'm not sure how that worked. I'm not sure if Jesus floated. I'm not sure if the water turned solid under his feet. I'm not sure how that worked. It doesn't really matter to me. It just worked. But he didn't stop the, he didn't stop the laws of nature for the whole earth. He covered that which he needed in his own life. If you remember the Old Testament, one of the, the, uh, the greatest curses that God said would come upon the people if they disobeyed the law was that they would lose their own, their own land, their own territory, their own homeland. And that happened time after time after time. The Babylonians uh, took them over and took them captive. The Assyrians took them captive. Man, they had people coming all over the place because they wouldn't obey what God's word said to do. And that was the ultimate curse. That was the end result of their disobedience to the word. Well, what happened as a result of that? What happened as a result of that is they wound up intermarrying with other, other tribes and other countries, other peoples. And God told them, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, why? Was God against everybody else? Well, of course not. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So God loves everybody. But he had a covenant with his people. And so when he said, when he commanded them, don't intermarry, the reason that he gave was because then you'll start worshiping their gods. Now, folks, when that takes place, when God just becomes one of the things going on in your life, you lose authority. 
When you give place to other things in your life, you lose or give away. You don't really lose it. You give away your authority. Adam lost his authority when he listened to the wrong person. He gave away his authority when he obeyed. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it away. We look at our lives and look at the things that have gone wrong and we think, oh, so many Christians at least, hopefully you don't do this. But so many Christians say, I just don't know why God let this happen to me. And God's sitting in heaven saying, you gave away your authority. I didn't do it. You did it. Do you know why heaven is for eternity? Because it's going to take a long time for God to get a lot of people's thinking straight. Now, the rest of us that already know, we're going right on into the marriage supper of the Lamb. But God's going to have to have classes. He's going to have to say, you know, when this happened, you blamed me for this? That was you. And then when this happened, you blamed me for that? No, that was you. Now, God being God, that's probably all going to happen instantly. I don't know. But, folks, the point is the same. So many times we blame God for things that we have relinquished our authority in doing. Now, turn with me over to Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11. We see the connection between authority and faith. We know that the Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. So that means God must expect us to know something about authority. Because if you can't exercise in faith without an understanding of authority, and you can't please God without faith, then you're going to have to know something about authority. Right? Now notice what Mark chapter 11 says. And again, we'll make this statement. Jesus said that we have absolute and total and complete authority in our own lives. The problem comes when we start trying to exercise that authority where somebody else is concerned. That's where people get confused. Notice what the Bible says about faith. Jesus identifies this next description or definition he's going to give as faith. Verse 22, have the faith of God or have faith in God, whichever way you want to read it. For verily I say unto you, here's the definition of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice he does not say that whosoever shall say to the mountain and shall not doubt, but believe in his heart, that whatsoever... He saith on behalf of somebody else, the other person will have it. He goes on to explain the principle of faith in prayer, verse 24. He says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, not what you desire for somebody else, but what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, not believe the other guy receives it, believe that you receive them, You shall have them, not the other guy shall have them. And what happens so often in prayer is we try to push off our desires on somebody else. And folks, I've got to tell you, a lot of things that people think is prayer is witchcraft. Because witchcraft is all about controlling somebody else's behavior through your words or your actions or your deeds or whatever. That's not the way prayer works. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're giving yourself over to the devil by praying that way. God just can't hear your prayer. There's no scriptural basis for your prayer, so you just wasted your time. But so many times people are trying to control things and people 
by their own prayer. Things outside the boundaries of their life and control things in other people's lives with their kind of praying. And it doesn't work. And people get frustrated. Oh, Pastor Mike, I've been believing for years that my my son or my daughter would do this or they would do that. Well, you can't believe for that. You can pray that God would influence them. But it's their choice, not yours. You don't have authority in somebody else's life. Oh, dear Jesus, give me authority in other people's lives. And I'd fix things instantly. Wouldn't be the way you like it, but I'd fix it. And see, so often what we want for somebody else is not what they want for themselves. Turn with you to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Let me show you the principle here. Matthew chapter 18 is uh, what's commonly spoken of as the prayer of agreement. Really, the context of this is not prayer. The context is offenses, taking authority over offenses. I'll back up and wasn't planning to do this, but I'll back up and read a few verses to show you. Verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, that means sin, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he will hear you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto them as a heathen man and a publican. Now, verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are three different places where Jesus talks about binding and loosing, and every one of them starts on earth. But the church turns it around. Most Christians turn it around and say, well, whatever God wants to happen in heaven, where his will has established in heaven, then then that's the way it's going to be. Uh-uh. Authority is not exercised in heaven. There's not an authority problem in heaven. There's no enemy in heaven. There's no resistance in heaven. Well, you think God and the devil are wrestling every day? Wrestle from 9 to 5 and then take a break? God doesn't have a devil problem. And if you know your authority, you won't either. Jesus said, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You take care of it here, heaven will back you up. Whatsoever you loose or allow on earth, heaven will allow that too. Whether it's good for you or not, Whatever you allow, righteous or sinful, whatever you allow here on the earth, heaven will let it go. Why? Because you're the one with authority. Now, folks, whatever you think about binding and loosening, it's got to have some kind of bearing on authority, doesn't it? The word bind means to prohibit or forbid. Whatever you forbid, well, you can't forbid unless you've got authority. I can't forbid something in your house. I don't have any authority there. But I can in my house. That's where my authority is. So he's got to be talking about authority. But the context is if you take authority over offenses. That's the context. Then he goes further. The agreement that he's talking about in verse 19 is not just agreement in prayer. It can apply to prayer, but it's really not the context. He says, again, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree as touching anything here on the earth. Now, what's the touching anything he's talking about on earth? Binding offenses. He's saying if you recognize that the devil tries to destroy people through offenses and take authority over it and not let it get a foothold, heaven backs you up there. You know why people quit coming to church? They get offended. You know why people backslide? They get offended. You know why people sin? They get offended. 
You know why relationships are destroyed? And fellowship is destroyed among people that used to be friends? Because of offenses. The devil's got it figured out whether you ever do or not. The devil knows how it works. Jesus is telling us, here's how it works. So if you take authority over those things, if you recognize the offense, and it may be a real offense, it may be a deserved offense. But if you take authority over it and say, no, I'm not going to let offense ruin things. You know why churches split? Over offenses. Because somebody or the person in charge doesn't take offense or doesn't take authority over the offense. Folks, I get to tell you right now, without hesitation, I have no problem saying it. Our church will never split. Now, everybody may leave, <laughs> but the church will never split. We've experienced some of that. But there's a huge difference. Church splits are where people start taking sides. Well, I want to go with this way, or I want to do this way thing, or whatever. I want to do that. That's not the way it's going to work around here. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. Our church has a vision. That says without a vision, people perish. That means without one, it's not good, and more than one, it's not good either. Church splits are caused by more than one vision. We're only going to ever have one. Like it or not. Now, we've had people that have come into the church that have tried to start offenses. I prayed them out. Now, I can't pray people, offensive people or, or people that cause offenses out of somebody else's church because I don't have authority there. And I can't even pray to make them stop causing the offense because that's their choice. I can talk to them about it. And I have. I can encourage them. I can show them what the Bible says. I can warn them. But I can't control it. Because it's by their choice. But if the point comes to where we can't be together without offense. That's the point where I say, okay, Lord. And I learned this. Well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But i got to tell you. I've learned as much or more about authority in prayer by praying than any other way. There was a situation that was just like the one I'm describing. And there was somebody that was causing trouble. And they're starting to gather their little group. And it was, it was all this. You know, we ought to have a church where our gifts are recognized. Doesn't that just sound lovely? Where our gifts are recognized. You know, Pastor Mike's just not good at recognizing the gifts that God has given us. No, but I'm real good at recognizing the work of the devil. I'm real straight on that part. And so you can see it. There's this little group starting to, starting to gather up. And it was, it was almost like a little cloud that started sitting together in church. And it was almost, okay, there's the syrupy sweet group over there. And it was all so loving. We just want a place where our gifts can be used. And so I started praying about it, talked to the person. And I said, look, what you're doing is wrong. You're spreading division in the church. There's only a few things that the Bible says God hates, and one is that the people that sow discord among the brethren. Now, it doesn't say God strongly disagrees with it. It says he hates it. So you might want to consider that. Well, they didn't want any part of it. They didn't want to hear it. They wouldn't do anything about it. I talked to them a second time. They, wouldn't want to talk to it. they didn't want to talk about it. They were convinced. They were, they were on their way. So I'm praying about it, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. And he said, well, how long are you going to put up with this? I'm ready to get rid of it now. Now, folks, I'm just like you. I think my first inclination is to handle it in the flesh. Okay, what are my options? 
That's the first thing we all think about. We might as well be honest. No matter how spiritual we act like we are, the first thing we think about is, okay, we're going to do something about this. Bless God, I'm going to do something about this. So let's either get physical or let's call them out in the middle of church and, and, and call the fire of God down on something. That's the way we think. But it doesn't work that way. I found out God doesn't kill people nearly as quick as I want him to. I got that from Paul, by the way. I'll show you if we have time to get over there. So the Lord said, how long are you going to put up with this? That blessed you, didn't it? So the Lord asked me, he said, how long are you going to put up with this? I said, well, Lord, I'm ready to get rid of this now. What am I supposed to do? He said, why don't you pray them out? And I asked him. I mean, I asked him out loud. I said, I can do that? I didn't know I could do that. He said, well, if you don't, who will? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I am the pastor here. I guess that does make sense. I prayed them out. They were gone in a week and a half. Didn't take one person with them. Didn't cause any more problems. Haven't seen them since. The other people that were being gathered up, they didn't even know why the people left. They just disappeared. I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Lord, can I do that again? I started looking around. So many times we're trying to control other people in other situations when we can't. We can have control and we have authority in our own life. And folks, I've got to tell you, this is exactly what Paul is doing. I wasn't planning to go there. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't have time to finish this, so let's just cover a little bit of it and then we'll pick up next time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, everybody gets into Paul's thorn in the flesh. Everybody talks about Paul being sick and Paul being this and Paul being that. Forget all about that. Paul said that the thorn in the flesh that was given to him was a messenger of Satan. It wasn't God. So whatever you think the messenger was, whatever you think the problem was caused, it was by Satan, not by God. Even if somebody can't be convinced that it wasn't sickness and some dreaded eye disease, it wasn't from God. Paul said so. But the issue that I want to address is Paul trying to get it off of him. It was persecution, by the way. He's pretty clear about saying so. It was persecution. And so he's praying for the persecution to be lifted. Now, if you go back and you look at the book of Acts, you'll see there's only one town Paul ever went to that he wasn't run out of. It's not a real good record. And so Paul prays. Notice what he says. Paul said in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or chapter 12, rather, verse 8, Paul said, For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it, the word it is a personal pronoun, it's the word, it's literally he, There are other translations that translate it as he. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that he might depart from me. This he is the messenger of Satan. It's a demonic influence that's stirring up trouble against Paul everywhere he goes. Usually through the Jews, but not exclusively. And the Lord said unto me. Now, the very fact that Paul only prays about this three times is amazing to me. If I was Paul, I'd be praying about this three times an hour. Think about that. Think about the things that mean something to you. How often do you pray about them? More than three times. I mean, this is over a protracted period of time. At least the book of Acts shows that it is. And Paul says, I asked the Lord three times about this. I talked to him. I prayed to him three times about this. That's baffling to me. Only three times? Are you serious, Paul? 
I prayed to the Lord three times. Now, I think what he must be saying is I asked God and God gave me the answer three times. But even after God gave him the answer the first time, he still tried to change it. I've tried to change some things God gave me. How about you? Sometimes I've been successful. Other times, not so much. Whether you like it or not, the Bible says, come, let us plead together. That means let us reason together. God will reason with you about situations and circumstances in your own life. The problem Paul's having here is that it applies to other people, not just him. Paul is praying for the people's behavior to change. And he didn't have authority there. He said, for this thing, I besought the Lord three times that he, the evil spirit, might depart from me. Now, let me ask you a question. How's God going to do that? Is God going to answer that prayer and say, okay, Paul, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll have a meeting with the devil tomorrow. And I'll make sure he changes his assignments. How's God going to answer that question or answer that prayer? Now, folks, that may sound silly to you the way we explain it, but that's exactly what some people pray. Some people come and have said, Pastor Mike, and I learned this one from Brother Hagin. Pastor Mike, I need you to pray. Okay, what do we need to pray about? Well, I, I'm just having so much trouble with the devil. I'm just, could you pray and quit having trouble with the devil? Okay. I did this one time. Lord, we pray that Brother so-and-so dies right now on the spot. I grabbed their hands. They jerked their hands away and said, what are you doing? I said, well, you said you didn't want any more trouble with the devil. As long as you're here on the earth, you're going to have trouble with the devil. That's the only way you can get out of it. They said, well, I don't want that at all. I said, I didn't think so. But what are we thinking about? Okay, we don't want to have any more trouble with the devil. Well, he is here. As long as you're here, there's going to be opportunity for you to have conflict with him. That's just the way it works, folks. You can't just get rid of the devil forever. That's pretty much what Paul is being told by the Lord. For this thing, this persecution that stirred up by this evil assignment against me, I asked the Lord three times that he might depart from me, but the Lord answered and said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, God is saying, Paul, I can't control the devil's activities. Neither can you. I can't stop people who choose to allow the devil's influence to stir up persecution and hatred in them against you. But I can give you victory whenever it rises up. And that's what Jesus is saying to him. Now, I personally think that the first time the Lord told him that, he accepted the answer and said, okay, well, victory's good enough then. And then the persecution continued. And it wears you down. The attacks of the enemy wear you down, and they're designed to. And so after he got worn down after a little while longer, then he prayed about it again. He said, Lord, isn't there something we can do about this? And the Lord came back with the same answer. No, Paul, you can't control somebody else with your prayer. You can't stop the devil's influence on somebody else if they choose to be influenced. But I can give you victory. And I've done that every time. Continue to do it. I think that's the three times that he's talking about. Personal opinion. I think it's those three times. Now back to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Therefore, I, uh, Jesus said, if two of you shall agree... He's talking about binding offenses. But certainly you would understand that if we could agree in where offenses are concerned, we could agree where anything else is concerned too. He said, if two of you agree as touching anything on the earth, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, folks, here's the place where um, I've got to be careful about how I say this because I know not everybody's in the same place. Um, well, maybe I, let me just say it this from my own personal experience. I've learned more about the extent of my authority 
by speaking in tongues than any other way. Now, that may not make sense to some people because the Bible tells you what your authority is about and you don't get what the Bible says by praying in tongues. But there are things where, just as I mentioned as the pastor of the church, I learned when the Lord spoke to me and asked me about these people that were stirring up trouble, how long are you going to put up with this? I was speaking in tongues at the time. I was praying in tongues about the situation. That's when revelation came to me that I had an opportunity to do something that I didn't otherwise know that I had. That wasn't contrary to the word. It added to the word and showed me how to operate. But these things, uh, these things sometimes work in different ways. They, they work in, uh, in, in instant ways sometimes. There have been times where the Lord has instantly dropped something in my heart to do something about. We talked about the, the freeway shootings. I think I've mentioned that a couple of times years and years ago. I'm standing in the, uh, well, we weren't even in this building, but we were um, uh, worshiping the Lord, and I'm sitting there in the, or standing up by the front row getting ready to preach, and the Lord asked me, how long are you going to put up with this? Well, I didn't know I could do anything about that. But instantly it dropped down on the inside of me. 30 seconds before I didn't have it, now I do. I can't explain that. And so we prayed and they stopped. Now I'm not trying to take complete credit for it. If there was a reward for it, I probably would. (laughs) There may have been other people praying about this thing too, but it was something the Lord prompted me to do at that moment. And we did it and it stopped. What can I tell you? They stopped. There weren't any more. Everybody heard us pray. Everybody heard me take authority. We didn't pray. We didn't say, Lord, do something about this. We took authority over it. We commanded Satan to stop in his operation. And that was it. And it never happened again. And everybody that was here heard it. Well, you can't explain things like that. I didn't come to church prepared for that. So sometimes it happens instantly. But other times it happens over a period of time. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Let me give you an example when I was in Bible school. I was working for Brother Hagen. This would have been about 1981, I guess. I was working for Brother Hagen, and uh, it was uh, either late spring, may have been even early summer, not sure. But uh, prayer school was going on. At that time, they had uh, uh, an hour prayer school in one room, and then the next room that had healing school that would uh, start right after prayer school was over. And um, I, I stopped by. I'm on staff there. I'm working. So I stopped by prayer school uh, one afternoon, and... Um, uh, you know, I may not have even been working there at that time. I may have still just been a student. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm in prayer school in the afternoon, and the person that's uh, conducting prayer school, I think it was Patsy, uh, Patsy Beerman then, now Caminetti. They're missionary friends of ours, folks that we support and have into. Um, she said something like, you know, gather up together and, you know, divide two or three of you together, and, and if there are any needs that you have, then you guys just pray and agree on your own needs. Well, I'm standing at the back of the room, and, and um, so there's this guy that was that was there and he turned around and so it was me and him and, and one other person and uh, so I said well I don't have anything to pray about what, are you about what about you guys and this guy said the one guy said um, he said I'm here from out of town he said I really believe God wants me to go to Rama next year he said but I've, I've got a house and, and some property uh, made it sound like it was not just a, a house but some land to go with it and he said I've got a house and some property and he said if that doesn't sell then I can't come he said I've been trying to sell this thing for two years and it just won't move he said, so I want you to pray and, and agree with me that this property will sell. I'm thinking, I don't know if your property is going to sell. How am I supposed to know if your property is going to sell? I don't even know where you're from. Is your property worth anything? Maybe people don't want to buy it because you haven't taken care of it. I mean, there's all kinds of things going through my mind. I'm thinking, oh, what? And so I'm thinking, I started off and I started praying in tongues. Lord, we agree together that there's just nothing there. And I said, you know... 
let's, let's pray in tongues a little bit. Let's see if we can get some direction from God on this. So we did. And just about, uh, I don't know, five minutes maybe, we spoke in other tongues. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with what I'm talking about, I, I take so many things for granted, I just assume everybody knows. But for those of you that may not know what I'm talking about, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says this. It says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man heareth him. That means people that hear you speaking in tongues don't understand what you're saying. But God does. That's why tongues are for God, not for men. That's the biggest reason why Paul said, I would rather in the church speak with my own voice than with other tongues a whole lot more, unless there's an interpretation. Because unless there's an interpretation, nobody knows what's being said. Uh, listen, I perfectly understand with Paul. I relate to that guy. I spend hours and hours and hours of the day, not at one time, not getting myself by, by myself or anything, but throughout the day, I spend probably 10 hours a day speaking in tongues while I'm doing other stuff. But I get to church, I'm not here to speak in tongues. People get excited and they want to speak in tongues, and I'm thinking, why didn't you speak in tongues all week like I did and come ready to hear something? I'm not here for the goosebump. And so many people, so many charismatics think that's what church is supposed to be. It's about having that feeling that you get when the Holy Ghost moves. But folks, I'd rather give you something by the Word of God that will help you get established and see God move in your life. Then you can get your own goosebumps. You can have goosebumps when you come to church and say, here's what God did. So I don't come to church to speak in tongues. Nevertheless, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit... So speaking in tongues is speaking in the Spirit. That means praying in tongues is praying in the Spirit. Are you with me? That's what Paul is saying. He goes on in chapter 14, in verse 14, to say, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with my understanding. He's talking about praying in tongues. He's saying I'll pray with, with, his, under, with his language, whatever his language was, Greek, Hebrew, whatever he spoke in. But he also said I'll pray in other tongues. So you can pray in other tongues too. So it says, how be it in the spirit when you speak in tongues or when you pray in tongues, you're either speaking mysteries or you're praying mysteries. Weymouth's translation says of that word mysteries, it translates it as divine secrets. Divine secrets. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. I want you to see one verse of scripture. Divine secrets. Keep that in your mind. Divine secrets. That means God-known secrets. Secrets that you don't know, but God does. That's what makes it a secret. You know what else makes it a secret? The devil doesn't know. That's why there is such a controversy in the body of Christ about praying or speaking in other tongues. Because the devil knows that if you start speaking in tongues, you're going to start speaking things he can't figure out. Because he doesn't understand tongues. He doesn't have a translator. He doesn't know. That's why it's so important for us to do. Now, Romans chapter 8, notice verse 26. Notice this says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, we think of infirmities usually in terms of sickness. For example, Matthew 8, 16 says, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Well, there is certainly talking about physical weakness. It's talking about physical weakness in terms of sickness. The word infirmity just simply means weakness. So you have to see the context of what kind of weakness it's talking about. Matthew 8.16 is talking about physical weakness or physical infirmities, physical conditions that can be healed, in other words. But in, Luke, in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, he's not talking about physical infirmities. It says, likewise also, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. 
for we know not what to pray for as we ought. So what's the infirmity? What's the weakness? We don't always know how to pray as we ought to know. Now, anybody that's ever spent any time in prayer knows there are sometimes you get to prayer and you think, I don't know what to pray about here. There's a lot of times people will deliver prayer requests to me, these little prayer request cards we've got. They'll deliver these prayer request cards to me right before a service, and I don't have any information about it. I don't know how far my authority goes. Pray for sister so-and-so. Pray for Aunt Susie. Pray for this, that, and the other because they're in this terrible situation. They had a car wreck. They had a heart attack. They had this, that, and the other. Well, what is it sister Susie believing for? Where are they with God? It's not going to work if I'm believing one thing and Sister Susie's believing for something else. What are they believing for? Are they saved? My authority goes differently with people that are saved with people that are not saved. It goes a whole lot differently with people that are in our church and people that are not in our church. There are things that we need to know. And we're so often so quick. Oh, let's just shoot a prayer up to God. Pastor Mike, here's a prayer request. You've got 30 seconds to get God to perform. Good luck with that. That's why a lot of times I'll get prayer requests and if I don't have the information, I won't pray about it. And that makes some people mad. Oh, I got to church, ran to church to get their own time to give you that prayer request. First time they've been in their own time in a month. But I got there to give you the prayer request and you didn't pray. Well, would you rather have me pray effectively when I find out what I can pray for? Or you want me to just throw some words out there and make you feel better about it? Too often, I think people are just looking to salve their conscience about things. They're just looking to get a, a good feeling about something. Okay, to lay in Romans chapter 8. Likewise also, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. doesn't say we don't know what to pray for. It says we don't have the complete knowledge so that we could pray most effectively. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, folks, that word groanings just simply means God talk. In other words, divine secrets, other tongues. So it's saying when you don't know what to pray for things as you ought to know, the Holy Ghost will give you utterance. He'll show you, not to your mind necessarily, but he will give you utterance to pray something. Whether it be in English, if that's your native tongue, or whether it be in tongues, uh, praying in the Spirit, whatever it is, He will help you to pray effectively if you'll rely on Him. So back to this guy that I'm agreeing with in, or that wants me to agree with him concerning this thing in prayer school. We've, we then spent about five minutes praying in other tongues. And while I'm praying in tongues, my mind is saying, Lord, you're going to have to show me what to pray about. I don't know. I don't even know if it's your will for this guy to come to healing school or to come to, to Rama. I don't know. He says it is, but does he know how to hear from you? I don't know. I've had a lot of people tell me God told them something and it didn't turn out to be God after all. You know that same thing to be true too. So how do I know? What do I pray? We prayed for about five minutes in other tongues and all of a sudden, I had it. Now, I can't tell you how I had it. I can't explain to you why I had it. But all of a sudden, one second I didn't, the next second I had it. And we're all still holding hands, praying in tongues. And I said, okay, here we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, and I claimed uh, in the, uh, by faith, I claimed that property sold. I claimed that, that he would fulfill the will of God for his life, that he would come to Ramah. It turned out to be just exactly what he said that he, was, that he had impressed on his heart that he was going to do. That was it. And I said something like, and this property will sell by this time next week in Jesus' name. We stopped. 
And this guy's eyes are wide open. He's not praying anything. He's looking at me just wide-eyed like that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I say? <laughs> Folks, I'm not in ministry. I'm just a, a Bible school student. So you know how much I know. So I'm thinking, you know what my first thought was? My first thought was, oh, my God, what did I say? My second thought was, I'm so glad he's leaving town. <laughs> he's not going to be around here to find out, for me to find out what happened about this thing. I'm off the hook. He'll just be gone. Well, next fall comes around, and it's the, it's the early, I don't know, first couple of weeks of school. And all of a sudden, I'm walking down the hallway to one of the classes or going somewhere. I'm not sure what was going on. And I heard somebody scream. I didn't hear my name. I didn't hear anything. Just somebody screamed, hey. Well, it scared everybody. I mean, everybody in the, in the whole hallway stops and just freezes. And he comes running, pushing his way through people and grabs a hold of me. And he said, it's me. I'm thinking, I don't know who you are, but the dear Lord, what is going on here? I had no recollection of who this guy was or anything. Didn't remember anything. He said, do you not remember me? I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't have any idea who you are. He said, last May or whenever it was, June, whenever it was, he said, we prayed in prayer school and you said that my property would sell in a week and it sold in a week to the day. He said, you're the reason I'm here at school. I'm thinking, well, of course. <laughs> I could help other people if they have the wisdom to come to me as well. And I'm th- I mean, I'm feeling really good about it. I'm thinking, well, man, that's just great. And I'm thinking, oh, dear Lord, he thinks I had something to do with this. He wound up standing up three times during that year in the, the share and praise part of the, the thing on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, the little assembly things that they had, giving a testimony. And by then, he's figured out who my name is because I'm working there. And so he calls me out by name three times. He said, and Mike Webb is the reason that I'm here at school fulfilling the plan of God for my life. Well, by the third time, I mean, it's embarrassing. <laughs> totally embarrassing. But he said this. He said, I realize, of course God wants me to go to Rainbow where I can learn to pray like Mike Webb prays. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, too good. <laughs> One time he did it when uh, it was before a, a seminar. And, uh, and, and it was just kind of an open mic. Who's got a testimony? Brother Hagin said, who's got a testimony? This guy ran up there and did it. And I'm sitting up there on the platform. Brother Hagin, he just looks at me. He says, you're really something, aren't you? <laughs> I just wanted to die. Just, oh, 25 years later, there's a guy that comes up to me at another meeting that I, that, uh, I was attending in Tulsa that is in this guy's church that he's now pastoring. And he comes up and he says, are you Mike Webb? I said, yeah. He said, my pastor is so-and-so. By now I know his name. He said, my pastor is so-and-so. He said, you're the reason why he's in the ministry today. You prayed a prayer and went through this whole, whole thing. By now he's getting people gathered up. Do you know who this is? This is Mike Webb. He knows how to pray. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, somebody stop this. But folks, my point is simply this. The Holy Ghost will help you to know how to pray. Now, we came into agreement, but the agreement was established when the Holy Ghost revealed to me what our authority was. It wasn't something I had on my own because my thoughts were totally different. My thoughts were, I don't know if we can pray about this. I don't know if I can believe that. Folks, you can't agree with somebody if you can't have faith for it. I don't know if I can agree on that. Even Jesus, 
who is the savior of the world, came to the earth and required faith on the part of the individual. In other words, their authority had, an, had an, a, a critical, was a critical component to them getting their answer. And his name, his power would not work if their faith was not operational. Except in extreme circumstances. There's only two times in Jesus' ministry where you can see he got something for somebody where they obviously did not believe. Only two times out of the multitudes that he ministered to. Folks, your faith only goes as far as you know your authority to be. You can't control somebody else. And we've got a lot of things more that we want to say about this, and, and I'll show you some things. I guarantee you've never seen the word before. Guarantee you've never seen it. I'll show you some things about Paul where he found out how far his authority went. We'll show you some examples, some things that, uh, that you'll be able to relate to, some things that will show you what you can do in prayer. I'll show you how praying for the nation works and how we can change things in our country. It's not what a lot of people think, but we'll show you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to exercise the authority we have in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you made it so simple for us, but you required of us to read and to study and to meditate on your word so that we could fulfill your plan for our lives and so that we could walk in the fullness of everything that you provided for us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that our place is to pray for your influence upon others, not to try to control their wills. Thank you, Father, that as we learn to cooperate with your manner and your method of praying for other people, we thank you for supernatural results. There's nothing we're saying here, Lord, that's minimizing your power or your ability to reach others, but rather to make your reach more effective by cooperating with you. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for the authority that we have in our own lives. We declare, therefore, that no work of the enemy shall harm us. We declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We declare, Father, that healing is ours no matter what the devil has said, no matter what the diagnosis is. We thank you, Father, that you meet every one of our needs no matter what things look like, no matter what the bank has said, no matter what our, our, our economic situation is. We thank you, Father, that you lift the poor and needy out of the dunghill when necessary. You redeem our life from destruction. There's nothing that's too hard for you. Nothing too hard for you. And in the name of Jesus, we refuse to have anything less than what Jesus purchased. Thank you, Father, for doing great things for us, through us, and in us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget, Food Court Sunday is uh, immediately after church. And come on back and be with us at prayer school at uh, 5 o'clock. And then Barry Mitchell is going to be ministering at 6 o'clock in healing school. Have a great day.